1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we got a big win for the Nets. 147-125 over OKC with no KD. Offensive explosion. How you feeling, Jack?
2: Scary hours without the Slim Reaper.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was, um, I think the Nets tied their franchise record for points in regulation, 147, pretty close to hitting 150 tonight. One more Reggie Perry three and we would have been there. But before we jump into this, as always, you can find us on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, com, and Blue Wire Pods. But Jack, you kind of mentioned to me before we started the show, a really comfortable win tonight, you know, not much stress on the Nets side.
2: Yeah, there was a point where, you know, TLC gave us that, that little bit of extra wiggle room in the fourth quarter. He hits a couple of back-to-back threes, and it's just like, TLC is the savior that Nets fans deserve sometimes, it seems. Uh, no, nah, I thought that it was just a, a good team performance across the board, Nick, led by, you know, our two backcourt superstars, the best backcourt in the league, the two starting all-star in the Eastern Conference, and if they're not, then uh, we will riot like Joe Harris when he wasn't named in the three-point shooting contest. And then he ends up winning it, but uh, it was an incredible performance even in the absence of Kevin Durant and James Harden with another triple double. Kyrie Irving. You know, throwing out shots that I haven't even... I, I can't even actually envision in my head. I don't have the creativity, dexterity, and imagination that Kyrie Irving does. Like, I'm just like, I'm going to try to just make a shot here. And Kyrie Irving's just having fun here. It's like, I, I put out on Twitter, I'm just like, he's a joy. He's a joyous basketball player. He brings that energy. And, it, and it, 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 in return, as fans, we have a joy just watching him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he has a counter for every defense. Like, whatever, you're going to to put your arm up right to try to push a shot. He's going to go inside and under. And like you said, there was just so many moves tonight from Kyrie where you're just like, what? How did you shoot 10 of 16? Like, you shot over 60% from the field. Like, that doesn't even make sense.
2: I I have no idea. Like, I, I literally don't know. There was... The, the two shots that suck out to me, Nick, is the, the one that you chucked. You probably put them both on, but the one that I responded to on Twitter, or retweeted on Twitter, where he goes up under. It was good defense. Uh, was it Dort or or was it Diallo? SGA. SGA, sorry. Really good defense. And SGA isn't a great defender. But he just forces Kyrie kissed off the glass. And I think that there are few players probably in the NBA that use the backboard better than Kyrie Irving does like it's insane how well he reads angles like in trigonometry back in high school guaranteed that dude was getting hundreds and a pluses because he just knows how to read everything and it's just like every single shot off the glass goes in for Kyrie Irving I- I'm not kidding I can't remember a shot that didn't go in
1: yeah it's really crazy and like you said that one was just like such nice touch it kind of almost makes me think of pool you know, like you have to hit the ball at a certain angle. It's like he's a master of angles because like the way he used glass doesn't even really like make sense for a lot of players. And like you said, not many guys in the league do. It's more of kind of an old school thing. And just, I guess, to talk about his full stat line, 25 points, 10 to 16 from the field, you know, only three threes tonight, one of three, four free throws, uh, seven assists and five rebounds. Just a really, really efficient game from Kyrie.
2: Yeah, truly. Um, he's one of the most efficient guards in the NBA today, Nick. And... Kendrick Perkins thinks he should be traded for JJ Redick and then he puts him in his all-star starting team. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry that I had to give that dude some clout on our podcast. Uh, I refuse to ever bear his name again. He'll be like Voldemort, uh, He, who shall not be named. I'll refer to him as going forward. But, yeah, Kyrie Irving is just otherworldly, Nicholas. I, I, I can't say enough. Insanely – and you mentioned to me earlier, like, it just doesn't get old. It's just like – I'm still, I still marvel at his creativity, at his just shot making ability. That I just don't know how he does it. Like it bewilders me. Um, and it's just, a, it's just the joy and awesome to have him as a Brooklyn Nets player.
1: It's just like something great to have in your back pocket because a lot of it isn't even just easy offense. You know what I mean? Kyrie can be part of the offense at different times, run pick and roll, get good shots and stuff like that. But hey, shot clock's going down. It's under five seconds. Throw the ball to Kyrie he'll probably get a shot that he can hit but talking about the other all-star mate in the backcourt james harden tonight another really good game
2: triple double power forward though nick isn't he the power four he's on the backcourt oh
1: yeah he really was power forward in the starting lineup so i guess not maybe that's gonna mess with the all-star voting but uh, another triple double tonight 25 points 11 assists 10 rebounds 9 of 14 what is this efficiency
2: um, look, I think that I said it on Twitter, and I'll say it again. Bruce, ever since Bruce Brown said we need James Harden to be, you know, the James Harden that we know and love. And Bruce Brown knows all, everything about locking down James Harden. Um, he um, He has literally unlocked this version of James Harden that is the great offensive player in the past decade or so, well, five to eight years in, in Houston. Um, and I know for him
1: fitting in an offense, Jack. He's not really playing James Harden basketball. Like he's, he looks like a normal basketball player. And I know that was like one of the biggest concerns with the trade for not just the Nets for Philadelphia or any team that traded for him. Like, can he go back to normal basketball habits? And you wouldn't even think that was a, a question, the way he's played in, in Brooklyn.
2: No, it's three triple-doubles in eight games. And I, I guess we, we sort of talked about that we felt confident in James Harden filling himself out. He was confident himself. Yep. Are you surprised, Nick? You, you know, it seems to me that obviously without Kevin Durant, there's going to be less shots as well when he returns, hopefully against Washington in, in, in a couple of days. But do you, are you comfortable now with James Harden in his role? And did you expect it to be uh, such a quick acclimation in only eight you know, uh, on-court performances?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would probably say it's a little quicker than I thought. I thought there would probably be a little bit more disruption with the offense, just, you know, Kind of what we saw in the first two games, you know, eight turnovers, nine turnovers or whatever it was, just not really efficient basketball. But he's starting to get a good feel for his teammates. And I think also just like having a lot of high basketball IQ guys has really helped too. So the fit's probably gone smoother than I expected. And like you said, we were pretty optimistic about it. But I was just concerned it was going to take a little bit of time. And it it really is looking good. And James Harden is really feeling out his teammates and has a great feel for what to expect. And I think this offense is probably still only at like
2: 50% it's insane i I thought that this was obviously the best offensive game we saw all season i think okc are a better team than we did see tonight and you know they've they've beaten us this season haven't they yeah
1: yeah i think what it was is like this is kind of the extremes for okc they shot excuse me to the highest extreme in the first game like diallo was making every shot tonight he really couldn't hit anything you had guys like basely cooking from three sga couldn't miss in that game i mean sga only took 10 shots tonight but like and then tonight you saw a lot of those guys miss. Or Lou Dort, for example, two of fourteen, one of nine. So I think it was just kind of like you got both ends of the spectrum on OKC shooting.
2: Yeah, I thought that the Nets also did do a good job defensively. Yep. I thought that the the switching you mentioned there was a little bit of a zone. You know, outside of DeAndre Jordan, I thought all performance, including you know Landry Shamet. Maybe not TLC, but in saying that, you know, the majority of the guys who, who played some meaningful minutes were solid on their switches, we're, were quick on them. Kyrie at times, you know, can give away a little bit, he can be a little bit slow, some of his turnovers occasionally. But I thought overall, the, the unit as a whole played really good defense and the scheme is starting to solidify and there's finding a little bit of synergy there.
1: Yeah, I thought this was probably the highest percentage of good defensive possessions we've seen in a game from the Nets. I'm not sure what that exact number is, but like you said, there were some really good plays. I thought they even forced turnovers tonight, and that's something we've been kind of looking for them to do. Only seven steals, but still not a bad number in comparison to what we saw like a few nights ago. It was zero. So I think kind of it helps them get in transition a little bit and I think communication was pretty crispy. You know there's a couple plays with DJ that weren't great and a couple other ones, but overall I think there was some real progress defensively. Obviously it's easier going up against a less offensively talented team. I think OKC's like 28th in offensive rating, but still you're going to take any type of progress you can get. And confidence I think can be built on that end of the floor too.
2: No, that's a good point. You know, generally we've seen the nets lift their standards to the better teams and drop their standards to the to the sub 500 teams. So it was good to sort of see, you know, that sort of blowout and get some confidence against a team that they should be getting some confidence yep. against. And you know, even without their best player, in, in saying that as well. So I, I thought it was it was positive steps on, on the defensive side of the floor. That's for sure, Nick. You know, they were doing all the the little things, rebounding the ball well. Now I thought the communication was good. I thought they were. They, we've said before that we. We thought that a lot of the time the Brooklyn Nets allow teams easier shots than they should get. Whereas I thought tonight they made them, they forced them into tougher shots. They forced OKC into tougher shots than I think that they thought they were they were a bit of an easier time, um, like in the, in the previous win that they had against us. So it's good to see that the Nets are making things tough for their opponent. And hopefully that is a consistent trend going forward.
1: Yeah, I thought there was more effort on closeouts tonight. I think that's something you see, you know what I mean? And that can really alter a shot because when you're giving them the complete wide open shot, it's, a, it's very comfortable and almost relaxing to an extent. But when you're just running at them and you're putting your hand right in their face, you know, something that Kyrie James Harden really do because I'm sure tons of guys have done that to them. And I feel like that's just some of those extra effort plays we saw tonight that we weren't necessarily getting or f- finished rotations. And also shout out to Joe Harris. I thought he was really good defensively tonight too, willing to make some of those deep rotations, especially against like Al Horford at the rim.
2: Yeah, I mean, ever since that Trey Young performance that we chatted about a little bit the other night, and where he was just hounding dudes <laughs> um, and making Trey Young look like absolute garbage out there. Yeah, I think that because the OKC Thunder, obviously, you alluded to the lack of offensive talent. And I think that also does include from the perimeter. You know, they yeah. don't have a, a J.J. Redick. they don't have a Joe Harris, a Duncan Robertson. Yeah, freaking don't look-
1: though, didn't miss a damn three tonight. Uh, and-
2: yeah, he's uh, in like his that dude scouting report. Um, you know <laughs> the three pointer is a weakness of his, so sometimes you're just gonna get hot. Yep. That's basketball at the end of the day, and you know you want to leave certain guys open. And Maladon probably in the scouting report is the guy you'll leave yep. open. You know, a, a Pokashevsky or whatever. So there's gonna be guys that yeah,
1: get hot. man, I don't know if I've ever seen that guy like come close to making a making a three. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Look, he's a he's a work in progress, but we'll we'll, we'll, we'll keep on the, we'll keep on the positive. So I just thought that despite the fact that they j- did. Shoot forty-two percent from the area. I think a lot of that was just some hot shooting. You know, Darius basically going yep. two of five. You know, Al Horford. When was the last time Al Horford hit four threes in a game? You know, maybe get
1: straight
2: Maybe, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, probably. Maybe trying to get trade to the book Brooklyn Nets for Spencer dimity and uh, Al Horford. I've heard on other podcasts. So I'm not sure about that one, but uh he's certainly uh, exceeding his trade value in some regard. But yeah, I thought that the Nets' defense. You know, despite the the outlier in the shooting uh, was really good and you know their ability to I thought uh, early in the in the first half, probably more so I was a little bit worried about the, the habit of giving away too many fouls and bailing yeah. them out start, I think they had like 10 free throws in the first quarter something like that and that's just easy points and the Nets were still up 36 to 27 and I thought that they deserved to be up by double digits so um, I think they did Tune that in a, a little bit and I'm not sure. Let me see how many they finished with in terms of free throws for the 34 entire game. For OKC. So yeah, that is a lot. That is a lot. Um, but in, in saying that if you take or if you turn that into like something more reasonable, like twenty, you know, the nets blow them out even more. Um yeah, 147, 125. It seems to me that's going to be emblematic, hopefully, with the Brooklyn Nets going forward. But yeah, I thought that there were some good signs defensively, despite all that.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think, obviously, you know, everything was just kind of running smoothly, offensively, defensively, and you can kind of feel the synergy on both ends of the floor. And like we kind of talked about, some of the lineup combinations I thought were really nice from Steve Nash tonight, especially not having Kevin Durant.
2: Definitely. I thought that there was some nice creativity. We got, we got some uh, extra juice from Landry shaman Tim yeah. TLC. Tina- here and There uh, just before we do move on to some of the depth rotation guys. In there twenty five fouls to twelve uh, in favor of uh, OKC, so double the amount of that. So uh, that is certainly a trend that I oh, would like to be rectifying going forward. But yeah, the the depth the depth rotation guys. You know, Reggie Perry. I think this is a good matchup for him against you know a young team like the OKC Thunder. You know, he's not going to be out against the Philadelphia 76ers or the Miami Heat or these sort of teams. But against a team that is young and has young bigs of their own, I think Reggie Perry can provide something. And I thought that his energy, um, his hustle on the glass, uh, his tenacity, his aggression, I thought he was quite good tonight.
1: Yeah, first career uh, double-double tonight. You know, 10 and 11, you know, 10 points, 11 rebounds. Like you said, I think this is the perfect matchup for him because literally all of OKC's backups are young bigs. Like, going against Al Horford might have been tough for him, but going against, like, Mike Muscala or Roby, like, there are matchups that Reggie Perry can win. And you saw him, I think, get a little bit more comfortable under the rim and kind of understanding what he needs to do. Like, when he had the one play where he put his shoulder into Mike Muscala's chest and then went up and got got him, he hit him with a pump fake, too. Like, that's what he has to do because he's undersized, but he is a strong dude, and he's got some big shoulders. Just use him.
2: Yeah, he he seems comfortable around the rim. He, he he looked more comfortable tonight than he has in a lot of games this season. You know, probably other than the, the Knicks game. This is yep. probably his best performance, and in only 19 minutes as well. You know, he can. I, I think he got a bit unlucky with some of his his fouls. I, I thought that some of them were a little bit ticky-tacky. I thought he yep. was vertical on some of them, um, and I do also think that Kyrie Irving and James Harden did a good job of of finding him. You know, yeah. in, in the pick and roll and he also made good decisions in, in kicking it out and uh, I thought that it, it really helped the offense because the, there was a, 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 the defense blitzed I think James Harden and it left Reggie Perry wide open for a layup down low or a dunk up yep. whichever, whichever one he finished with so I think that he's going to get those looks if he's playing in the second unit with Kai or James and those guys are going to be out there with the second unit because we need their offense so uh, I thought that this was a good sign from him and we could see him against these sort of teams that uh, are struggling a little bit and, and have better match like a Washington, like an OKC, um, those sort of teams that I think he he can actually uh, give us something.
1: I also like the way James Harden and Kyrie coach him, you know, especially after fouls and stuff. Kyrie was kind of letting him know, like, hey, man, you're a big, you got to keep your hands up. And I think that's some of the reasons that he's not getting the calls is, you know, poor positioning, not showing his hands and also just being a rookie. Like, we know that's how it goes. Like, you're more likely to get a call against you when you're a rook. But I thought, like you said, Jack, there was some nice progress tonight and hopefully he can take this moving forward and be a nice piece on the bench. You know, like you said, too, he's not going to perform against some of the elite teams, but in some of these matchups, you know, take advantage of the minutes while you can.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Absolutely. Nick, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stick with the bench because we're on that sort of wavelength right now. We'll get to Bruce, we'll get to Joe. Don't worry, we never forget about Bruce and Joe on the Brooklyn Buzz. But who were you more encouraged about tonight? Was it TLC or was it Landry Shamit?
1: Landry Shamit, for sure. I mean, seeing him hit a couple threes and bring something to the offense. And when he's hitting, he provides gravity. And like I mentioned to you on uh, before we hopped on, I really like the combination of uh, Landry Shamit, Joe Harris, and James Harden together. It kind of gives James Harden the space to operate and kind of get downhill a little bit. And if they're going to commit to him on a pick and roll or whoever it might be, Landry Shamit opened three. Joe Harris opened three. And if they're both hitting... That's just like an offensive explosion where your second unit is now extending your lead instead of just trying to maintain it.
2: Yeah, and I thought that... Um, it was good to see my maybe one of my favorite moments of the night was when Landry Shimmett, Landry Shamit sorry hit that opening three and the bench erupted. It seems yep. to me that this team is really starting to gel um, and there's a, a real camaraderie to them. And um, no, I thought that was awesome and it gave him a lot of confidence. Uh, at yep. least it seemed that way because he did finish tonight and, and was a, a positive effect on the game. You know, in 18 minutes, four of eight from the field, uh, an awesome drive from him as well. Three of seven from three, 11 points. Did have a dime too. That drive, Nick, was really savvy. You know, he had the three in the corner, but the closeout was good from the OKC defender. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to attack this dude. And he finished with the lefty. It uh, It was really crafty.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he just needs to get comfortable on the floor. You know what I mean? And I think he does have some skill and he can attack the closeouts. We talked about the point guard background, some of the playmaking. We don't necessarily want him to be a playmaker for the Nets, but when the opportunity arises for him, go out there and make some plays. But really with Shamit, it all comes down to making his threes. And then the rest of his game comes because he knows that's his bread and butter. And when he's not knocking down his threes, I think it's just hard for him to have a positive impact on the game. He's not Joe Harris. Maybe he can start to kind of turn into that player down the line. But, you know, he could be a guy that's kind of a little bit more three-point dependent. And that's okay. There's plenty of guys
2: like that in the league. Yeah, it's his bread, it's his butter, it's all the topic on the sandwich for him. Uh, There's (laughs) there's no doubt about that. And I think Landry Shamet. It might be more important than TLC in a lot of respects because the Nets are so offensively predicated that if he can get himself going it gives them a guy in the rotation that they can trust and we've sort of spoken about like who are these guys in the rotation the Nets have five, six, seven guys can Landry Shamit force his way in there we've seen him do it for, for basically every single other team that he's been on and obviously he is finding a, a new role within this team and you know in limited minutes it is hard and you know uh, with, with the fluctuating superstars here super Stars there, um, and, and I'm, I'm really hoping that this is uh, a, a kickstart for him for, for a nice little run uh, against some teams, and he keeps hitting that three ball, he keeps making nice decisions, Steve Nash noted his defense tonight, I also thought his defense was, was quite good too, um, I thought he was quicker on switches, I thought he showed some strength and some tenacity there, so um, all good things for Landry Shannon, we're big fans of him.
1: Yeah, and like you said, Jack, I think he can really complement the stars. Elite three-point shooting is exactly what you want, putting him out with some lineup. So see what happens with him. He can improve that defense. And it almost kind of felt like him knocking down his threes pushed TLC a little bit. I don't know. TLC didn't knock any threes down, it felt like. And then all of a sudden, you know, Shaman's getting cooked and TLC's like, hey, I need my minutes.
2: I think all of these backup Reggie Perry, TLC, Landry Shamet. know that there's a guy coming in on the horizon and, and uh, the, yeah. the, the, whoever it is, whether it's a big, whether it's a wing, whether it's a guard is uh, probably going to be looking for one of those guys minutes. Um, but yeah, TLC, look, it's the TLC experience. I think overall, like plus 22. Yeah, look, he was uh, a, a overall a positive. 13 yep. points, five boards, three assists, had a steal, four of eight from three, including a dagger to sort of give them that nice little comfortable buffer uh, above 20 points. But at the same time, there were two fouls that he gave away on SGA, closing out a, a jump shot and then sticking out the leg at the end of the quarter, where it's just like, dude, like, that's just the basic defense stuff. That's basically one-on-one defense. You don't bail out the guy. And, you know, I alluded to 25 to 12 in the fouls. You know, TLC himself had four in 20 minutes.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this is an issue he had when he initially came up. You know, it was very foul prone, started to clean it up, but he's starting to get back to some of those bad habits. And We've, I feel like we've talked about TLC closeouts more consistently on this podcast than maybe anything else. I've
2: got called out on Twitter for it. It seems to be like a running joke that I, we've started on this podcast. But, I mean, everyone sees it. If you're a person that watches Brooklyn Nets basketball, TLC closing out, it's not just a joke. It's what he does.
1: Yeah, and I think, like we've kind of talked about, he tries to go directly in the center of the body instead of kind of running past players. And I think it's also just like, he has a hard time reading if they're actually going to shoot or if they're going to drive. You know what I mean? So his closeout, I think, is kind of. Con- I think he just doesn't necessarily have the instinct there.
2: Yeah, I don't think he like say if, like, let's compare, say, Joe Harris, who will close out and he closed out hard. And if the guy, you know, dribbles on him and hits a three or dribbles on him and drives, he trusts the help behind him yep. and he. It's not going to be like all right this guy hits a, it's a dribble three off my closeout that's a good shot i've forced the tough the tough make there whereas tlc just bails them out and, yep. and i think that you know and you mentioned the one on sga
1: where he kind of hit him in the air after he already shot like he already played great defense on the play and he kind of overextended for what like that, if he hits the shot you just kind of be like you know what good shot man
2: <laughs> yeah exactly so Look, it seems like an easy fix, but it's uh, been happening for for 21 games, so hopefully it gets remedied sooner rather than later because, you know, they're little things that are certainly not championship habits, as we sort of like to mention quite a bit on this podcast, Nick, but uh, Uncle Jeff continues to do Uncle Jeff things. Like, again... Evergreen content we're going to be providing you about Jeff Green. He plays solid basketball. He hits a three ball. He gets to the line. He hits some shots. He rebounds well. Three steals as well uh, to go with the three assists. Jeff Green just um, ever reliable against uh, the former team. Well, he didn't play for OKC. I think he only played for Seattle. He's he still
1: technically the- part, I think, of the roster. But, yeah. uh, but uh, like you said, Jack, I mean, I think this might be one of the most consistent stretches of Jeff Green's career. Like in terms of the the role that he's asked of. And like, you know, he's functionated a lot in the past. I think last year with Houston, that short stand, he was really good. But other times he's kind of been hot and cold. But he's been pretty consistent for the Nets. And I really like when he came in the game and he went straight at Roby and hit him with a power move. Like that little like switch over and going straight to the rim. You know, I think I like the fact that Jeff Green isn't completely dependent on a three-point shot. He'll switch it up with some drives occasionally. And I think defensively he's really willing to guard anybody on the
2: floor. And he can. like He's yeah. showing capabilities there. And look, you can look at it from uh, from one or two ways. You can go, look, Jeff Green is so important to this team and the value that he provides it is awesome. But you can also look like, okay, we're relying this much on Jeff Green. And I, I think that it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, the Nets definitely do need guys to, the, the support players, the role players to support him going forward. And Steve Nash said himself to Chris Mulholland and the Nets media that he was monitoring Jeff Green's minutes tonight, that if he started, Green probably would have seen 35 plus And Jeff Green, Joe Harris, two of our consistent role players are playing elevated minutes alongside the superstars. We talk a lot about, you know, James Harden and, and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving playing elevated minutes in OT games and such. But, you know, our role players are playing elevated minutes too. So it's it's their conditioning we need to continue to monitor and worry about, especially a guy like Jeff Green who is in the twilight of his career. You know, he's in his mid-30s and um, I, I, I think he's playing awesome basketball for the Nets and uh, he is so damn important, especially in the absence of Kevin because we needed, you know... a, a we, we need just, an actual forward. So <laughs> Yeah, we needed a forward. It was, uh, mm-hmm. As much as uh, the, the starting five might have said sir so from the Brooklyn Nets media team, James Harden ain't a power forward. He might guard him sometimes, but I don't know. Out of him, Bruce Brown, and Joe Harris, uh, maybe James Harden is the best power forward out of those three. I, I have no idea. But yeah, Jeff Green, uh, ever reliable, like you mentioned, Nick. I think his his driving capabilities, um, his he, he just knows how to make plays, um, and he knows when to drive he's him and jiff uh J- james harden have a, a really nice synergy yep. in the open court too seems to me at least once every game if not every two games you know he finds him in transition to, to going downhill for a layup um he's doing just all the right things
1: yeah and i mean the one play that sticks out i know you comment on this play i think you said it was your favorite set they ran the pick and pop up top with joe harris and james harden joe harris hits him with a pump fake drives to the rim hits jeff green in the dunker spot boom And he hit him with a pump fake and got the n one. It's just, he's a very smart basketball player and he looks really comfortable out there. Obviously having all that experience in the NBA is going to do that for you. But like you mentioned, Jack, Jeff Green playing a ton of minutes, Joe Harris, the stars. I think that's just kind of the issue of not having a full roster right now. And, you know, obviously some of that's on Sean Marks, but he did say he wanted to take a patient approach. Just hopefully it doesn't hurt the Nets in the long run in any way. But games like this, Really are important because you get that extra rest for your team. And that's what we want to see from the Nets moving forward against some of these lesser teams.
2: Yep. In game rest. Um, and, you know, only 34 minutes for Kyrie Irving, 32 minutes for James Harden. I think that that's perfectly fine. Yep. You know, we've, we've Sounds seen like them Kenny the. Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't think Kyrie ever would have played more than 32. Um, I remember when we were analyzing the, you know, the roster who had the most minutes per game. And I think it was like Joe Harris at 31 at one point, and um, I think that our guys, you know, the superstars know how to play those minutes, and it's good to get those in-game rest yep. because you know the, that's what the true superstar teams do. They blow out teams in the first three quarters and they get some rest in the latter points of the game. Golden State did it so damn consistently that they were so damn primed for their 16-game series um, in the They're playoffs. They're playing
1: three-quarter so- games. (laughs)
2: Yeah, basically. And the Nets basically did as well tonight. uh, A couple of uh, little moments here and there, but they did outscore. That's when you really got to get
1: to 30. If you get to 30, then you can sit your starters for the fourth quarter. And I think that's kind of the next step for the Nets because there was opportunities in this game where I think they could have really clamped it down, but they gave OKC some runs, especially I want to say... At the end of the second quarter, you know, they had a couple errors in there. You mentioned some of the TLC fouls, and then they had the play where Kyrie thought they were going to roll it, and they didn't. They just ended up going out of bounds. You know, those type of plays are just the type of things you got to clean up.
2: Yeah, definitely, and then and alluding to the Jeff Green stuff where he was in the dunker spot or driving, uh, it's sort of uh, is emblematic of this stat. The Nets got seventy points in the paint, and they only allowed thirty-eight themselves. And obviously, wow. OKC don't have the talent to really, other than SGA, to to make dribble penetration moves. But um, the Brooklyn Nets have a lot of guys that can do that. And I was alluding to you know Landry Shamit doing it earlier. TLC occasionally can do it, but every other player basically on the roster can do it. Whether it's Bruce Brown, James. And Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris. All of those guys can make a play for themselves um, off the dribble. So uh, I think that that's the stat that I want to continue to see going forward. Probably more so the 38 points from OKC. It's going to be tough to sort of um, protect the paint that well and uh, it, it's a balance it certainly is a balance but um it, i thought that that was a really, really good sign and um it allowed the the nets to really sort of uh play in and out basketball and, and i think that that's where you, you 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 force the defense to make tough decisions you know what shot am i going to give them you know it's going to turn a good shot into a great shot
1: yeah and i think like the nets really didn't shoot a ton of mid-range shots today you know even the kyrie shots they were almost like closer to like close range shots like he loves
2: 10 to 11 12 feet rather than like 12 to 18 feet he loves
1: underneath the free throw line like i almost feel like he doesn't miss that shot like i want to say in my head he's hit it like the last eight times i've seen him take it it's kind of ridiculous his touch inside but like you said jack Getting in the paint is so important because then you're not necessarily depending on the three-point shot. It's more so complementing your inside game, and I felt like that's what the Nets did tonight. They got to the rim a little bit. Oh, okay, so he's going to send extra help. We got the three-point shooters that can handle it, and Joe Harris was cooking from deep.
2: It makes up. Surely we, we can discount the fact that the streak ended because he made five of them tonight, Nick. Surely that makes up for it and should make that streak. No, the, the new Don't streak. do you think I, that
1: just makes him so mad, though? Like personally,
2: <laughs> Uh, it probably does, to be honest. And and look, it, it begun quite early, and he set the tone quite early from the perimeter. And you know, he had some tough threes tonight as well. And he was just like, this ain't happening two nights in a row. And um, he's one of the best three point shooters in the league. Um, his drive and finish with the left was incredible, yeah. incredible strength and dexterity. It looked like James Harden with the with the left in in a lot of respects. So, uh, great game from him. At Twenty points, five and nine from three, seven and thirteen from the field. Couple of seals, couple of dimes, uh, and a board as well. Um, Joe Harris is. He's even in the performance against the Atlanta Hawks, Nick, we saw him, you know, chewing that gum on the sideline and getting his fist bump going. Yeah. Ultimate consummate teammate. I have said some inappropriate things about the chewing gum, but in saying that, Joe Harris did a lot of things that uh made me feel inappropriate tonight because damn uh Joey Buckets can do no wrong and um he's had such a damn consistent season. I don't think he's had a bad game. Like uh, yeah, maybe I mean
3: one that. out of the yeah. twenty
2: one.
1: Yeah, there was, like, one game I think we talked about. But the pump fake and sidestep tonight, that was that was looking very comfortable. And I think, like, that's the next step for Joe as a three-point shooter, too, is, like, he doesn't always have to drive because sometimes the lane's not going to be there. But that sidestep three or that step back or whatever it is, and you mentioned some of the deeper threes, and this is the perfect performance. You know, your, your best player is out. You need someone to step up in the scoring department. You get 20 from Joe. You know, <laughs> it's like you had a big three. Three scores over 20. That's what you usually need to win games, like, pretty easily especially with the nets defense so shout out to joe stepping up hitting big shots and take advantage of the opportunity and like i kind of said to you before like i feel like joe was able to escape a little bit more in this game in comparison to some of the better teams and take advantage of those shots because they're going to be hard to come by all season
2: Definitely. I thought the ball movement and player movement did allow that as well. And I thought that was from him. That was also from, you know, James Harden and Kyrie Irving because they were driving, they were creating open spots for Joe, for Jeff, for Bruce, for all these sort of guys. And I thought all of them... TLC uh, occasionally got in, in the way of Kyrie Irving and some of his drives and um, yep. James Harden maybe once or twice too but everyone else had the smarts to be like, you know what? Alright, Bruce Brown, I'm going to get down low but I'm not going to get in the guy's way because I know that you know I feast down low but I also want to give the James Harden the, the space to, to drive and penetrate and, and, and throw some lobs and, and get some and one play. So yeah, Joe was, uh, Joe was awesome tonight and all nine guys who played uh, key minutes for the Nets tonight, Nick, finished in double digits um, it shows that it was a, a really, really good team performance across the board um, and, and Bruce Brown tonight 9 of 11 from the field doesn't miss a floater um, that, I can't remember the last time that dude did miss a floater five boards including an, an offensive one had a dime too I thought that he's continuing and I, I think that James Harden Kyrie Irving everyone's starting to love Bruce and, and how can you not you love the energy and he
1: just has an amazing like instinct and feel when to cut to the rim because like you said he does it in a way where he doesn't get in the way and like yo, a guard shot 9 of 11 like in no it's just like the efficiency is crazy and like you said that floater is just like kind of automatic and I love the physicality there was one drive in the second half the game was kind of over but he took it at somebody's chest on OKC and got the and one I was just like that's a Bruce Brown. And like you said, I think his teammates really love him too. Just with the energy and effort he plays with, there was a couple of plays where he tipped a rebound. You know, he didn't get it every time, but one time he tipped it, it ended up going in DJ's hand. He got an easy dunk.
2: Yeah. I thought that the, the cut that where he was literally off screen, like he came yeah. from nowhere and Kyrie Irving throws a, a really nice wraparound pass to him. And, and it shows, it's just like, Oh, Kai's getting clogged here. He's in a tough space. Yep. I need to give him an option. And exactly. he's just, Really, really, just uh, a good way of putting it, and and I just think he's a, a really smart player. And, you know, you need smart players to just make heady plays, and Bruce Brown does that on a consistent basis. You know, he knows what his limitations are. You know, he he only took the one three tonight, but um, I I just think he's always impacting the game, and I think the Nets are what five and two or six and two whenever he starts. Now, obviously, his spot is going to be taken by Kevin Durant um, going forward, but we know that Bruce Brown is going to give us good minutes, and um, he's become a, a really strong part of this rotation
1: yeah and he provides something that the nets need they need that energy that hustle that defense and some of that just like the thing that you just can't measure you know what i mean and bruce brown has that and he just provides that spark sometimes and i'm going to say it you know there's going to be matchups where Brady bruce brown shouldn't play a ton because some of his limited offense in the way the teams are going to play the nets but there's going to be other games like tonight where he's a big reason they win
2: and I, and I think the reason why you get around with Bruce Brown you know one of the few guys on this roster that can't shoot the three ball is because everyone else is yep. such an offensive threat it allows Bruce to go you know what I'm going to get some boards here these guys miss a shot I'm going to make sure I put it back or kick it out or get us an extra possession or I'm going to make sure I give them space by doing some smart cutting give them some screens and, and, and I think that just he just does all the little things as you alluded to Nick all the intangibles that the superstars don't do or they shouldn't have to do Bruce brown fills in those gaps and um while he might get played off the floor in in certain games and in certain rotations and matchups i think that it's going to be hard to do so if you're pairing him you know with the offensive talent that the nets do have and you know alongside deandre jordan it's going to be tough but if you have you know jeff green next to him or kevin yep. Durant next to him um, i don't think that you're going to be taking him off the floor very often
1: i think that's a great point jack i think the lineups where you don't have dj it's a lot easier to play bruce brown you know what i mean if jeff green's stretching you know reggie perry's even stretching a little bit i think you have space for bruce brown to operate down there or maybe possibly another center down the line a Dwayne deadman or some type of spacing big you know it could even unlock bruce brown a little bit more
2: definitely and speaking of the bigs nick deandre jordan 10 points eight rebounds two assists two blocks five or seven from the field uh, what do you think a little bit
1: under uh, below average. You know, I think yeah. I'm I'm you know, I think what he dropped two or three lobs in this game. One I think he didn't catch, but he went back up and got the finish on there and then I think defensively he looked the most confused out of almost anybody on the team. And, and he got himself caught in no man's land so many times. Like The Nets were trying to blitz face SGA, and I think that was by scheme. I, I think someone mentioned it after the game. Like They wanted to make him uncomfortable. Or maybe it was the halftime report from the assistant coach, but they wanted to make him uncomfortable, and I get that. But then, DJ, you have to like sprint back into your spot. You have to hustle back to your spot. And he just like would stand there and not know what to do, and then it would just allow OKC to get some type of open possession. So he, he needs to fix his stuff up, especially because he's supposed to be, quote-unquote, the defensive anchor.
2: Yeah. That's saying something. And look, that that blitzing did work, especially in the yeah. latter parts of the game. It led to like, you know, transition um, Reggie Perry layups and such. But, you know, on DeAndre, I just think that his defensive IQ has skyrocketed downwards. Like he doesn't, whether he doesn't trust himself, whether he doesn't trust the scheme, it's just like, well, okay, the Nets have a switching scheme and switching principles. But is DJ part of that? Or is he in his own like individual drop scheme? Uh, is he going to get out to Al Horford on the perimeter and some yeah. of these guys that can really stretch him? Or like, uh, I, or I just sometimes think sometimes
1: that- he drops when he doesn't have to. Like that's <laughs> yeah. what was even more confusing is there was plays where like the guy went over the screen and he was able to maintain some type of on-ball defense. And instead, DJ goes to the front of the rim. And like you said, Jack, Al Horford, wide open three. And it's not like you're going to die if Al Horford shoots a ton of threes, but like he's still a good enough three-point shooter where you have to contest.
2: Yeah, I don't know if DeAndre Jordan is smart enough to anchor a championship defensive team at this point of his career. You know, he I think his communication is good. I think he's a good leader. But I think, you know, when he is in actions, whether it's especially pick-and-roll actions, he is just gonna, getting found out. And he doesn't have the, the smarts of, of Jared Allen does or, or any other, you know, quality average bigs in the league. And, you know, it's going to be an issue for the Brooklyn Nets. And obviously... Small ball is going to be probably what we run a lot of in closing points of the game. But it can't hurt to have Norvell Bell playing some some cheeky minutes here or there or another big if we happen to add one to the roster as a buyout candidate or another candidate, um, which will be added tomorrow, likely by the time this podcast is out. So it'll be interesting because, look... In a game like tonight, it doesn't matter. But in you know when the games matter, um, other than Giannis under the Kumpo, I don't know who else is DeAndre going to guard because you know against Joel and B, Nikola Jokic, that's where jo- um, Jared Allen had his best games, and I think DeAndre Jordan has a lot to prove. And now I think that we're seeing a level, some some level of frustration from you know some of our superstars being like, "Come on, DJ man." I saw like, D-
1: uh, I- James Harden say something to him today.
2: And I saw Kevin Durant in a previous game as well do something similar, so I think that they are holding him accountable. I just wonder wonder whether he physically doesn't have the capabilities, or he mentally doesn't have the capabilities, or it's a combination of both, and look, 20 minutes is fine because you give him 29 minutes to to Jeff Green, 19 minutes to Reggie Perry here. Reggie Perry was better than him tonight. And, you know, most games this season, BJ's been better. Um, And, you know, in the other games, it was clearly Jared Allen. Um, It would be, it's a a pretty glaring weakness for the Brooklyn Nets to have at least an an average starting center. But if they can get that, it does solve a lot uh, because DeAndre Jordan is below average.
1: Yeah, his feet are just so slow. And I think that's really what it is, Jack, is, like, he was such a great athlete that his recovery speed made up for so much. And now he just doesn't have that. So he's just... He's trying to kind of play like Marcus Sol, but he doesn't have the Marcus Sol basketball IQ on defense. You know what I mean? Marcus Sol gets away with it with not being a great athlete because he understands angles, positioning, and DeAndre, like I said, just kind of puts himself in terrible spots all the time. And I think there's still like some hope he can be better. Like, I think there's maybe like a tiny bit where maybe there'll be some improvement as the season progresses. Maybe it'll be like last year where he kind of plays himself in the shape, but. That's probably like my best hope because I think it's really kind of the physical limitations that are kind of hurting
2: him because he's just slow he is he's super slow and you know in a team where we're switching and and quick wits and quick decision making mentally and, and physically is required you know it doesn't suit deandre jordan but a team that's know.
1: already kind of like not super fast in general to be honest like if you look no. at the starting lineup you're like Kyrie's probably the fastest guy joe harris is an elite athlete james harden's not really an elite athlete in terms of speed you know kevin durant makes up for it because he has amazing length but it's not like the nets are the quickest team in the league and i think that's when you lose such a great athlete like jared allen it exposes so much more
2: it does it does it, it goes down the line yeah i, I think that's a, a decent point to make and look we saw one or two possessions of Done defense i don't know if that becomes pretty bad <laughs> And maybe that becomes somewhat of a once the... Look, I think that we saw the principles in place tonight. We alluded to it earlier. I don't know whether Zone suits DJ more. Like I mentioned, drop coverage is probably the best one. But even then, he just drops way too deep. And the problem with
1: drop coverage with Kyrie is Kyrie gets like... Killed on screens too many times where he's completely yeah. taken out of the play, so then it just becomes a, a free jump shot for probably a decent shooter. They have no one within two feet of any angle of them, you know what I mean? It's just like, okay, this is shooting practice. So I think that's kind of the part of the problem with playing drop is because like Kyrie gets probably caught on screens more than anybody else in the nets, especially because yeah. Paris Hurt's not
2: here, yeah. And going up against you know some decent point guards and guards in this, so whether Bradley Gill or Kemba Wolf, those guys. Probably going to get found out, but yeah, I think the look we harp on the Nets' defense a bit. I think we've we've dived deep into it uh, quite a bit tonight, Nick. But anything else on tonight's game before you know? I ask you uh, about Steve Nash's comments about um about the roster overall. No,
1: I think you know this was just kind of a progress, a step forward where you want to see an elite team take care of a lesser team and win in a comfortable way where it benefits you long term because you're getting rest. So I think. This needs to be the goal in every time they face a bottom five, bottom ten team, and obviously it's not going to happen every other every time because they're professional basketball players. Guys are going to have hot nights; they're going to step up against the Nets. But I think they need to strive for this a lot moving forward against those bottom ten, bottom five teams.
2: Absolutely, you know, this is where you get momentum. This is where you get you figure out a lot of things. And Four game that's winning streak, out. right? Yep, the second spot in the East. It's a, it's a good feeling to have right now after the Milwaukee Bucks lost to the New Orleans Pelicans. And look. You want to be uh, have the best seed possible. Hopefully, you you don't get a Miami Heat team in like the seventh or eighth seed. Hopefully, yeah. they get some stuff together because they're not a good matchup. I think they might be one of the best eight seeds ever, or like you know the Golden State Warriors in um, yes the against the Dallas Mavericks. But yeah, well the seeding will, will sort itself out. I think it's just about the form, uh, the on court performance, and just figuring a lot of the the schemes and the, the intangibles that we've alluded to on this podcast and plenty of other previous ones, Nick. But in saying that, where there is another roster open spot now that Norvell likely plays against Washington we'll have to wait and see but in saying that we heard Steve Nash speak about the the extra roster spot that is available that has to be filled I believe by tomorrow and he said this I guess it's possible to sign one of our two way guys but I think we're probably looking to sign someone on a free agent deal Nick
1: who is that someone I I don't know I mean Norval Pell was not on my radar, and Sean Mark signed him, so I I can't say I really know where he's leaning in the situation,
2: but what I do. Position, ag- Nick, do what felt.
1: I think probably the most important position would be forward like they need another power forward small forward whatever because now that gives you more flexibility when you would Jeff Green to play more center minutes and also gives you flexibility when Kevin Durant's out not only do the Nets miss Kevin Durant because he's you know arguably the best player in the league right now but they miss him because he's literally one of the only forwards on their roster So they need to get depth in that area. So I think that's the most important thing to sign tomorrow, especially if they believe in Pell. I think Pell's contract isn't guaranteed. It's not guaranteed until February 24th via Bobby Mark. So it's not even like he's locked in as a center. He's just center help right now. So I would think the other guy's going
2: to be some
1: type of forward. If it's a guard, I'll probably cry. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I mean, we're sure Mark signed plenty of them for the bubble. Um, so hopefully he realizes where the roster composition Already is. We have eight here. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of them. Hey, James Harden's power forward. Come on, man. What are you talking about? Um, Bruce Brown played some center the other night against the Atlanta Hawks. But in saying that, you know, the three names that spring to mind for me, Nick, uh, Trevor Ariza, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Michael Kit Gilchrist, those are probably the three ones. And, and up at the top of the list, I think Rondé Hollis Jefferson would add a lot to this team as a, like a, a forward version of Bruce Brown. Um, we know what he brings to this team. I thought that his defense in, in Minnesota in the preseason, I'm just like, dude, this is the best defensive player on this team. And they just let him go. And obviously we see how much they're suffering defensively and offensively for that matter. I thought he was good in Toronto as well. I thought he made some strides there after some early season struggles. And I thought that, you know, Nick Nurse's tutelage allowed him to, to really unlock himself a little bit there. And what he provided previously for the Brooklyn Nets. You know, he was probably our best defensive player. You know, we remember games against the Portland Trailblazers where he's coming up. Up clutch you know that that bucket against the sacramento kings you know yeah. 76 in my mind you know it, it'd be good because i think that a lot of you know quote-unquote hardcore home nets fans you know aren't as you know enamored with the superstar scary hours experience i know you and i you know sometimes i felt that way initially but now i'm certainly on board with scary hours uh, a plenty but bringing back a, a, an old favorite son in one of Alice Jefferson I think would um, certainly add something uh, to, to this team not just on the court but you know in terms of that intangible fan factor too
1: yeah I definitely think so and I think you know he's probably the most likely I think Trevor Reese is still technically uh, under contract with OKC but uh, Michael Cade Gilchrist. Like, he has literally no offense. Like, at least Ronde can finish a layup sometimes. You know what I mean? And he's an okay passer. I wouldn't rule out Ronde, like you said, defensively, provide some energy. You're signing Leo Sova. He kind of looked a little bit washed with Milwaukee, maybe kick the tires on him. I don't even know if they can do like tryouts and see what these players are like right now because of COVID. So it's like usually you'd kind of want to see what they look like. Um, other than that i'm just like the forward class just isn't really strong obviously this point of free agency you're not going to have many guys available for you to really like be able to pop off but any other names that you were thinking like a dark horse jack
2: no look i i think we chatted about a couple of buyer candidates that zach harper mentioned on the previous podcast um so if you want to check that out you know check it out towards the end of the podcast around the sort of 35 minute 40 minute mark but yeah i think that A forward is needed, Nick. You know, we need a backup. We need to lessen the minutes of Jeff Green, as Stephen Nash alluded to. We need to lessen the minutes of Kevin Durant. You know, he's coming off an Achilles, and yes, he's doing historic things that I don't think that uh, a lot of us are surprised about because he he is a historically great player, but it certainly can't help the rotation to have another guy who can play some rotation minutes at that forward spot and give you a little bit of flexibility. Because look, I wouldn't hate having Rondé as like a five as well. You know, he's played a little bit of five uh, in his day. You know, sometimes with Jeff Green, picture. it
1: wouldn't be that bad because then no. you know, the other one's shooting threes. You know what I
2: mean? Yep. yep. Him, him alongside KD, him alongside Jeff Green. Um, I, I'm becoming really, really enamored with the idea. Really sort of, come on, let's uh, bring the, the hyphen back. I know you're a big hyphen fan, Nick being a hyphen man yourself. So let's get uh, the second hyphen back in Brooklyn.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't mind it. And like you said, the energy off the court would be cool too. And I, I want to say maybe there's some type of connection to Kevin Durant, but I don't think so. I think maybe it's if they both shimmy at the free throw line. Maybe that's something. <laughs> so, but uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Anything else you want to touch on, Jack?
2: No, nah, it's, it's good to have a uh, relatively comfortable win, Nick, and. Uh, I unfortunately can't be on the next pod covering the Washington Wizards game, but uh, you better believe that Nick's going to have that one covered with a special guest.
1: Yeah, we got uh, a Joe coming in, and he told me that he's going to provide a lot of Joe Harris content to keep the vibes on point. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs>
2: that, that's why we have Joe as a regular guest on this podcast.
1: Well, Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, to everybody, for listening. You can catch us on all streaming platforms.